that's one of those songs that just just stops you right in your tracks, doesn't it? That I will sing of the goodness of God all my life. You've been faithful. When I wasn't faithful, when you haven't been faithful, he's remained faithful. And we have lived in the goodness of God. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. We come back again today for a part two on what we've spent some time on last Sunday. Holy Spirit surprises. Holy Spirit surprises. Now, we use the term and the name Holy Spirit, but we're understanding that the Holy Spirit is just another one of the references to the exalted but invisible Jesus Christ. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, Paul would say. The Lord, the Lord Jesus is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There is liberty. There is, there is freedom. So when we, we speak of this matter, of the, the Spirit surprising us, that is, the Lord Jesus in his Spirit presence surprising us, that means we understand we're surprised, but he's not. He's not surprised. When things don't go or aren't going the ways that we would like for them to go, or they haven't turned out in the way that we expected them to go, or what about this? They seem to not be going in the direction that we were believing God that they were going to go. What then? What then? When we are surprised, we are surprised by what the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Jesus is allowing to come our way. Doesn't stop it. He's allowing it to come. Or in some cases, he's, he's just... He's just causing it to go in a way. There's a difference between those two. There are things that the Lord will directly cause, initiate from beginning to end. But then Romans 8, 28 covers those things that he didn't initiate, but the enemy initiated, or we just messed ourselves up real bad. Even with that, Romans 8, 28 says, but we know that God causes all things to what? To work together for good. To those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose. Even he's such a big God. He's such an awesomely powerful, wise, intelligent God with a heart for us that even when we mess up and maybe we keep making wrong choices and we've lived in them and lived with them for a long time, he's still big enough that he can even cause those things to work together for good because he knows within us, down deep within us, there is a love for him and there is a sense that we've been called by him and so he, in time, has the way of rescuing us from ourselves. Can anybody say amen to that? Lord, thank you for rescuing me from myself. I don't need the devil to get me in a big mess. I don't need 400 demons with my name as their assignment to mess me up. You and I, with this fallenness that works inside of us, we can make stupid, perpetual choices and have judgments and attitudes that the devil doesn't have anything to do with. It's all on us. But even there, thank goodness. And I'm 
looking into the faces of a whole bunch of us would say, if the Lord hadn't rescued me from myself, I wouldn't be in this church house this morning. If the Lord had rescued me from myself, I wouldn't be blessed as I have been blessed by his hand. Let's say, though, that it's not us. Let's say that it is the devil, that it is the enemy. is the second most powerful being in the universe, and he hates followers of Jesus. He will work to try to dishonor the Lord by attacking us and the Lord's people. And so there can be supernaturally induced seasons of difficulty and heaviness. But God causes all things, even the devil's things, to work together for good to those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose. With that as a backdrop, we, we come back into this matter and look a little more specifically at these surprises, the, the, the Holy Spirit's surprises, that, that the, the things that come our way, the things that don't turn out the way that we had thought or even believed that they were going to be or that it was the Lord's will for it to go, and then it just, it just doesn't work out that way. And we are surprised. The word, that surprise, can carry with it the idea of something positive, something, a happy surprise. But, but in so many of the characters in Scripture, the major influencers in Scripture, and we listed four of them, three, and then one minor influencer last week, and we'll touch on them again, that, that they, they were not happily surprised by the major life changes that were forced upon them. It, it was something that they just were carried along by. The, the circumstances were out of their control. But the Lord somehow, some way, with his love for them and with his ability to, to turn even the darkest midnight into an amazing noonday of blessing, they were taught many things just like you and I are taught many things as the Lord takes us from the season of trial and he uses the season of trial as the freeway, the freeway, the freeway, not, not just a little old, little old game trail, not just a little bitty one-lane road, but, but when, we're, when we're on this thing being caught up in something that's bigger than we are, we can't stop it. We can't get off the bus. We, we can't get off the plane. We, we're being taken somewhere. It's happening around us. It's a freeway. It's not a goat trail. It's a freeway. But how he, even how he will convince us as time goes on that he uses those trials. Hear me now. He uses those trials to take us into a place of triumph. The trials are the doorway or the freeway into the place of triumph. And as we mentioned last week, and I really, really, really want, want us as the people of God to understand this and to get a hold of this, the, 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 the setting for our greatest accomplishments may very well be not where we are right now, but where he is taking us. Okay, you say, but now, Pastor, I, I just, I don't think that's going to be a physical move for me. I mean, at my lot in life, my stage, where things go, I don't see how I'm going to be picked up and taken to some new street address. Doesn't have to be a street address. Doesn't have to be changing the shoe size or changing the eye color or changing anything necessarily in our outward circumstances. But the Lord still has a way of taking our hearts, our hearts, listen, or you, our hearts, our conclusions our, that inform our attitudes, taking those things to a new place, though your street address never changed. The Lord has a way of shifting and change, and, and the circumstances can come. Trouble can come. Opposition can rise up, and, and here we find ourselves just under assault and, and with, with, with no real place to go. What then do we do? 
Lord, will you fill me with your spirit? That's, again, the prayer that can change everything, the one of two. Lord, save me, and Lord, fill me. In the middle of this situation that is exposing my weakness, that is exposing my rotten attitudes, that is exposing my, my passion for revenge and my resentment from somewhere just coming up again, and I feel like I'm, I'm overwhelmed by the Lord, fill me with your spirit so that there will be a sense rising up inside of me of what it is that you want this circumstance in my life to produce in me. What you're wanting this circumstance in my life to produce in me. The Lord doesn't waste the sorrows of his children. He knows what we're feeling. He's inside us. It registers with him. He doesn't allow it unless he knows that it will result in something good for our good, for his good, for the glory of God, and for, for our own good. So, so there, we, there we have it. The setting of our greatest accomplishments. I'll just use shorten it to this. The setting of... For our greatness may not at all be in the place where we are. Use that geographically, but use that mentally, emotionally, conclusions. The setting for our greatness may not be where we are right now, but where he is taking us. Folks, I want to just say to you, I, and we'll come back to this in a moment, but I, I believe that it is, it is one of the major works of the Spirit of God in our lives as we go on in our walk with the Lord. It is the work of freedom. The Lord is a spirit. We quoted that verse a minute ago. But where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's what he's going for in your life. So whenever these things come up, that show us how bound we are by anger, how bound we are by, by what has been said about us or put upon us, then circumstances are showing those things. They're showing the place of bondage. And the Lord is warning for us in those spots and in those times to be praying, Lord, fill me with your spirit of freedom so that I won't be bound by resentment. I won't be bound by hopelessness. I, I won't be bound by rejection. I won't be bound by insecurity. Lord, I want to know what it is to be free. Fill me, Lord, with your spirit. And as we pray for that, as we look to the Lord to do that, it shouldn't surprise us. It's un, it, it is uncomfortable at times. When we pray for the Lord to fill us with his spirit of freedom, it is not uncommon for him to begin to show up places where we're bound so that he can set us free. So that a name can come up, a face can come up, a date can come up, a location can come up, whereas before it used to just crush us. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. Meaning, Lord, I'm trusting you and asking you to set me free. That person that hurt you may never tell you they ask for your forgiveness or tell you they're sorry. There may be absolutely nothing to change in the external realm. But the Lord, by his spirit and by his power, without anybody else out there changing, can still set you free of what it is that they have done and represented in your life to cause you to be hurt. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. So we, uh, we, we mentioned that, first of all, the setting, the setting for our greatest accomplishments, the setting for our greatness may not at all be where we are right now. And that's why the Lord needs to allow certain things to move us to another place. And that's where, that's where the greatness, that's where 
the greatest accomplishments that the Lord has in mind for you or for me may be found. We, we referenced Joseph. If Joseph had stayed the youngest son of all of those brothers by that loving, doting daddy and mother, but had just stayed in that part of Israel where, where before Israel had even been founded, but, but a nomadic type relationship with, with the ones that, that they were relating to in that season in Joseph's life, if he, had, if he had stayed there, we would never have heard of him. If it hadn't been for the fact that Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, ended up into Egypt, you remember that? And, and then put, he was a slave, he was a prisoner. Then after all of those years... Of, of being looking like from the, from the world watching that he was just completely bypassed. He, he was just a nothing. He was a slave. Then he's a prisoner. But the Lord, the scripture, when we mentioned it last week in Genesis 39, 2, and the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And that verse is stated while Joseph is a slave in Potiphar's household, been bought as a slave. But the Lord caused him to be successful, even as a slave. We read that footnote about Joseph, and that's an amazing thing. And then, he, then, then he's forgotten about, and then he, and he's thrown in, in prison when, when Potiphar's wife accuses him of coming after her, and, and, and she accused Joseph when Joseph turned down her advances, and he ends up in prison. I mean, he, he doesn't have a lawyer. He doesn't have a nickel to his name. He hundreds of miles away from home to him. But the Lord was with him. We, we read that, those lines about Joseph and, and, and what he went through and how he endured that. And we, we, we think of that in terms of that's a great man. A great man is not somebody who's behind a microphone necessarily talking about all the things that he's done, all the money he's got. The, the, the seeds of real greatness or in the shadows, it's in the darkness, it's when everything's stacked against you and you still hold on to what's right and you still pursue what is true in God's sight and you still love it. That was Joseph. Now, as we talk about these different ones, we need to, we need to allow that to be pressed into our experience. It, it, it's not in the easy places. It's not when everybody is attaboying us that it will prove what degree of greatness or the absence thereof is within us. It may prove the absence thereof. The, 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 the strength, the power of a person, that which is hidden inside the heart of a man is not when the lights of favor are shining upon him or her, but it's when the lights are out. It's when you can't find a friend anywhere. When you have every reason to give up on God and give up on decency and just chase your own passion, but you don't, and you stand, and you trust, and you wait, you wait, and in the Lord's timing, in each of these cases, with Joseph, with David, with Daniel, God in his time elevated them into a place of plenty. The surprising work of the Holy Spirit contains at least these three things. He has the ability to surprise you with hope, with hope, when there seems to be nothing else in the natural, empirical realm that is reinforcing that hope. Supernatural, out of heaven, deposited in your heart is the sense that somehow I know God isn't finished with me yet. I don't know where I am, and I'm not sure all how I got here, but here's one thing I do know. My God is here, and where he is, that's where I want to be, and in time, in time, the Lord, with each of these men and others we could name, 
They went through the darkness. They went through the midnight. They went through the hard, hard, hard places. And the Lord in his time surprised them with these incredible levels of elevation and prominence and name recognition and authority and influence on all levels of government and society as well as in a spiritual sense primarily. The place of your greatest accomplishment may not be where you are right now, but where the Lord is allowing you to be carried, is taking you to, we would never have heard of Joseph. We would never have heard of David. We would never have heard of Daniel if they had stayed where they started out. Now, that doesn't mean we need to go around looking for trouble. That doesn't mean we need to go around just looking at, you know, I'm, 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 this, this, I'm not happy with this, so there must be something better coming. This is about circumstances that end up being beyond our control, movement, transition that the Lord works, that he, that he is involved with and in, and he's over, over it all because he has a desired end in place. I, I, want, to, I want to reference a verse of Scripture. I want you to find this one, and I want to spend a little time with it. John chapter 16, the words of Jesus in John chapter 16, and, and find your way down to... Um, Verse 19, John chapter 16 and verse 19, Jesus is speaking to the disciples in the final hours before he's going to be taken from them and he's going to be delivered up for crucifixion. The, the, the longest section of Jesus' words other than the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, is this section, John 14, 15, 16, and 17, just, just straight transcribing of the words of Jesus. He, he zeroes in on, in this, these few chapters, the, the, the things that he wants these men to remember as he leaves them. These are the, some of the last teaching words of Jesus before the cross. He's trying to prepare them for his death and his resurrection. So he says in verse 19, John 16, verse 19, Jesus knew that they wished to question him, and he said to them, Are you deliberating together about this, that I said, A little while, and you will not behold me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. Whenever a woman is in travail, she has sorrow because her hour has come. When she gives birth to the child, she remembers the anguish no more for joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too now have sorrow. But I will see you again. And your heart will rejoice, and no one takes your joy away from you. Jesus was speaking, the obvious context being concerning his, his betrayal, his arrest, the trials, his, his suffering, the crucifixion ultimately, his death, his burial, he would be taken from them. And they wouldn't be able to stop the circumstances. Jesus clearly understood what his mission was, and he at one point says, I could have called 12 legions of angels to come and rescue me. 
But that was not the plan of God for the redemption work of Jesus to be accomplished. But he's having to prepare these men, trying to prepare these men for a change, a change in what they would see, a change in a voice that they would no longer hear in that sense, a change that was coming, coming upon them. They were close to him. Something was going to happen to him. As a result of that, they would be caught up in the tragedy that affected his life at that point in time. But I want you to notice these words because there are principles here. It, this, this is a timeless truth, and it's, it, is, it certainly applies to what was going on in Jesus' circumstance at this time, but it has to do with his his handling of the circumstances and is dealing with us in our day, in our time. Now notice specifically verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep. You will weep as a result of the circumstances around you, things changing. You will weep. The word there can also mean sob, wail aloud. This this expression of emotion that doesn't have words to it, it's just just the flow of emotion. You will weep. And then he uses the word, and you will lament. That's that's a word that carries with it the idea of of poems being written or or, um, um, uh, sad songs being written or or, um, uh, lines that would be repeated that would be thought expressions of a deep heart of grief. You, your emotions are going to overcome you. You will weep beyond words. But then there will also be parts of this very likely that you will be, you'll be saying some things, maybe even asking some things, that your grief will turn to words. And then it says, but the world will rejoice. You're weeping, you're lamenting, but the world around you is cheerful, going right on like nothing's happened. In fact, rejoicing even in what would happen in that circumstance. But then he says, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow, your sorrow, your sorrow, will be turned into joy. Meaning, this exact specific setting that causes you sorrow, the setting that is causing you to grieve, the setting that is causing you to want to pin a dirge, This very setting of sorrow, this very setting of sorrow, can I say that again? This very setting of sorrow will be changed into joy. This exact setting, this exact, these statements, my death, my impending suffering, my impending being taken from you because of my death, this sorrow will be transformed, will be turned into joy. Not, it's not about some new set of circumstances. It's not about something that, that, um, that, that, is, that is fashioned out here and brought in from a faraway place to right here. And this new thing is going to be your joy. Jesus, Jesus is very specific. No, it's this sorrow that will be turned into joy. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. And it's as easy as seeing the words on the page. Joseph's sorrow was turned into joy. David's sorrow, rejected rejected by Saul, hunted like an animal, chased down like a a wounded deer, and, 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 and all kinds of deprivation and difficulty coming upon him. That very sorrow was transformed (laughs) into joy. Daniel being taken up from his homeland and his home city of Jerusalem and being hauled off by Nebuchadnezzar's legions and set up in a strange foreign place 
Perhaps his whole family was killed when Jerusalem was, was, was overrun. That sorrow, that sorrow, that place of sorrow, that setting of sorrow, the circumstances of sorrow was turned into joy. Daniel ruled in this strange land. David ruled eventually in the place of the one who was hunting him down like an animal, Saul. Joseph, in a place of prominence and leadership and rulership, in the very place that was such a place of deprivation and such a place of abandonment, it looked like. The sorrow was turned into joy. Listen, my brother, my sister, no matter what's happened to you, no matter how long it's happened, no matter the consequences, your God is bigger than anything you've had to endure. Your God is able. Your God is able. Yours is the God of Daniel. Yours is the God of David. Yours is the God of Joseph. And your God is able to turn even the darkest midnights of your sorrow into a place of joy. How can he do that? How, you, you, if, you, if you went up to, to, you, to the young man Joseph and he's being hauled off by this, this Midianite band carried to Egypt to be put on a slave block and be sold, if you were to walk up to Joseph at that point in time and say, Joseph, how you feeling about life, bud? How's it going? Are you just overwhelmed with joy and you cheery in the Lord? Are you feeling good about God and you and how your future's going? He very likely, if he could have gotten a hand loose, he would have just tried to slap the fire out of you. What are you saying? Do you understand what has just happened to me? Do you understand I'm being taken to a place just so my brothers would think and be able to convince even my father and mother that I just disappeared? I had been so hated, so unwanted, that it would be better in their eyes if I never lived. Well, you're trying to ask me how things are going with me. It's awful. I'm frightened. I'm alone. But some way, somehow, even in that place of his, of his total abandonment by everything familiar, even in that place, there would be rising within him by the work of the Spirit of the same Lord who works in your heart. When those times and places have come that even though it is hard now and I don't understand it, it looks like chaos and confusion. It looks like that, that I'm overwhelmed with, with the impossibility of, of, of where I'm going and how to get out of this mess somewhere down deep on the inside. There rose up within him even though I don't understand it. Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you, Lord. I choose to trust you. It was who he was down deep in his soul. It was who David was. It was who Daniel was. It's who you are. And you hold on. Don't give up on God. The worst of the world. You, you say, sold as a slave. Joseph. David, all of the military and intelligence community that Saul could muster was arrayed against this young man, David, because he had been anointed the next king to take Saul's place. You remember that story? He didn't have a chance to escape. And if he did escape into no man's land, how would he survive? Who even knew he was there? His God knew he was there. Who even knew how alone he was and how impossible the situation was? The Lord knew. And the Lord knew that that was a season. And everything that was spoken about David by Samuel, prophesying to him that he would be the next king, not one syllable, not one vowel, not one consonant, not one punctuation mark changed 
even though the circumstances in David's life changed, the promises remained in place. The promises of God, no matter what Saul would do, no matter what Pharaoh's group would do, no matter what Nebuchadnezzar's would do, the promises of God cannot be altered by humans. It, 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 may, it may be a while, as it was in all each of those men's lives, things spoken about them in their youth and not fully fulfilled until decades had passed. But the Lord, because he lives in the eternal present tense, 50 years out is the same to him as daylight this morning to us. And yesterday, the same. The ancient of days. The God of all creation. He is not a man that he can lie. What he says, he will do. Somehow there was working in the hearts of these men that sense that they were they were caught up as pawns on the chessboard and moves being made in a human sense by ones that, that they could not control and no one went in. But they somehow had a sense that above that and beyond that, God was still in charge. And for Jesus to say, I want to, somebody needs to hear this. Somebody out there needs to hear this. Somebody in this room needs to hear this. The Lord is saying to you, your sorrow, you hold steady. You trust me. You give me time to do what I and only I can do. But your sorrow will be turned into joy. How can it be? How could the death of a marriage, how could the death of a child, how could the death of a business, how could the, how, how could the, the, the death of a professional career, how, how could all of those things how, or any of those things ever be turned into joy, into a place of joy. Don't have answers for that. But we have examples in the Scripture. The disciples, when they saw Jesus again, alive from the dead, speaking to them, but then he would be taken from them. You remember, after he had promised, you shall receive power. After the Holy Spirit, after my spirit is poured out upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. And that's exactly what happened from the day of Pentecost forward. Things were different. They weren't seeing him physically anymore. They couldn't lean over next to him at the Lord's supper table like the painting portrays it and be close to him in that sense. But there was a sense because of the reality of his spirit being poured about upon them that they had not been left as orphans, just like he said, that he would and he did come to them. They could sense his presence. So much so that, that Saul would say, everyone deserted me. You remember that in 2 Timothy 4? Everyone deserted me, but the Lord stood with me. David, David would say way before the day of Pentecost, hundreds of years before, but this special relationship that he had determining to trust in the Lord no matter what, no matter if, if his sins violated the heart of God or circumstances, enemies arrayed against him would come against him. Here, remember that statement. I was always beholding the Lord in my presence because he is at my right hand I will not be shaken. That had to be true, not just when he had the crown of the 12 tribes on his head as the king of Israel, but the only way he didn't break and run, the only way he didn't fall off into such rebellion and, 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 and loss of heart toward God and just never be heard from again is because there was even in the place when it didn't turn out like he wanted it to turn out. Even when it was, it, 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 he was surprised 
by the working of the Spirit of the Lord in his life, he still chose to trust the Lord to, in the end, do what the Lord had promised that he would do. Setting, the setting for our greatest accomplishments may not be where we are now, but where he is taking us, taking us by the circumstances, the flow of things beyond our control. I want to suggest this as well, come back to something we mentioned earlier where he's taking you, where he's taking you, where he's taking you, whether it has to do with physical dimensions or not, where he is taking you is to a greater place of freedom. I want you to find Psalm number 18, if you would, and this is the psalm that that is dated in David's diary and his prayer journal, the time when he got the news that Saul had been killed. Jonathan was killed as well, mountain of Gilboa. But what that meant was that David no longer had that head of state hunting him down and chasing him down and trying to kill him, that David could, in a sense, live again. And he would, not very long after that, be anointed king over Israel, the two southern tribes, and then eventually the remaining tribes a few years later. I want you to notice how David writes and what he says. Verse 1, I love thee, O Lord, my strength, my strength. He didn't give himself any credit for being strong. That, that, that's what abandonment will do to you. That, that, that's what these, these seasons of great trials will do. It just shows us our weakness. But that is all for the setting for the Lord to be revealing his strength, his strength in us. I love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. Folks, you don't ever need to know the Lord is your fortress. You don't ever need to know that the Lord can deliver. If everything stays perfectly smooth and easy and calm and you're never stretched, you're never challenged, nothing ever comes out of the blue to, to shake you, to disturb you, to, to frighten you. But when those things are allowed and God could stop them, but the reason he doesn't stop them is because one of the reasons is because he's wanting to prove to you and to me how real he is and what he is capable of in our lives. David needed a rock. What was a rock for? To hide in. Lord, you're my rock. You're the place I go to hide. You're my strength because I don't have any strength on my own. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. My shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call, notice this is present tense. He learned something. He learned something in the darkest days. He learned how to call. But this is present tense. Not I called upon the Lord, but I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And I am saved. From my enemies. So if he was understanding, they're gonna be the last, that, that won't be the last time I have enemies after me. But what I've learned is from the place of being hunted, from the place of being abandoned, from the place of, of having to having to find a rock to hide in, I've learned that in that place my God is faithful, my God is present. My God will take care of me. When I don't have anybody taking care of me, the Lord will be my stronghold. The Lord will be my strength. You know, listen, folks, that is such invaluable currency in the kingdom of God and in your relationship with the Heavenly Father that there's no way to attach a dollar figure to it. When you know, when you don't have anybody on the face of the earth who even knows your name and you're in trouble, 
and you're afraid that you can call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and you will find him to be your strength. Folks, does it mean that immediately David got the palace? No. You got, we got we to gotta lose this stuff that being secure and being strong is all about financial security. Now, let's just talk about that with Wall Street and all the nutsoes that's going on right now at Wall Street. How secure is that? How secure is money in stocks? How secure is money? If, if, if that's all you got, you don't have any protection. If all you got is stuff and money, you don't have any security in a time of storm. The good news is when you may not have any of that, but the Lord makes his presence known real to you and you cry out unto the Lord in your need and some way or another he gives you something to eat. Some way or another he protects you through the night. Some way or another he's your God and he's your rock and he's your strength and he's your tower of refuge. Oh my goodness. We read these Psalms not when David had whipped all of his enemies and there wasn't anybody after him. We go to these Psalms because we need to read how a man made it through the toughest of life. David's greatness. David's greatness was not going to be found as the baby boy of eight sons in Jesse's household. David's greatness was going to be found in the place that the Lord was allowing the circumstances to take David to and set him in because in that place, the Lord knew that is my assignment for David. And in that place, he will know me. And in that place, he will honor me. And in that place, I will show myself to him in ways that I could never have shown myself to him back in the easier places of obscurity. Well, read on down. I, 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 got, I got so fired up reading this, this part of David's life. This is one of the sections where he's looking back on it. He reviews the victories and the faithfulness of the Lord. But, but skip down to, to verse 16. Psalm 18, verse 16. He sent from on high. He took me. He took me. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. The, the many waters being the picture of, of forces arrayed against him with intent upon his destruction. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity. That They didn't pick just a, a normal day. They picked the day when it seemed like everything was going wrong. That's the day they picked to come after me for my destruction. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. In other words, they came after me on my worst day. I had no one to rise to my defense, but the Lord was my stay. Brother or sister, have you ever known a season like that in your life where the Lord was the only one, the Lord was the only one that you could give the credit to for getting you out of that mess, out of that tight place? Listen, when you've loved, lived long enough, we don't see it as a blessing at the time, do we? But if you've lived long enough to see that, and to know that, you are one big-time threat to the forces of darkness. Because the devil can come at you and try to array threats and so forth to try to scare you, push you away from your assignment. You've been there before. You know what that feels like. Just like David, here they came, but I called upon the Lord. I wasn't looking at them. I was staring at him. I glanced at them, but I was locked this way. And the Lord was my stay. That meaning the Lord was the reason I survived. The Lord was the reason that their arrows didn't penetrate. The Lord was my stay. The reason I can, I'm still staying here is because the Lord was my stay. I, I just, I, I just want to say to 
you know, these folks are just, you're just expecting, sometimes we get this idea of what Christianity is all about, that it's just going to be one big blessing, one big happy time after another one. You know, if you rebuke all the demons right and you claim all the promises, you'll never have a glitch. Read the Bible. I want to say it again. The place of our greatness, the place of our greatest accomplishment, greatest contributions may be in those places that the Lord had to stir up our nest enough, had to allow things to come our way enough to move us from the place of complacency, to move us from the place that's easy, to move us from the place that's comfortable into a place that may stretch us to the very fabric of who we are, but it's in that place that he's going to prove to us who he is. And as he proves who he is, he's proving who we are to him. Watch these, watch these next words. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought, he brought me forth also into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, my trying to do what was right in his sight. Trying to do what is right in his sight. To hell with the rest of the culture. What is right in his sight. What is right in his sight. What is right in his sight. The Lord rises to the defense of ones who are willing to singularly be found as loyal to him. Even when the rest of the culture, the rest of civilization may be chasing other false dreams. David was set apart. David was set up as prominent in the Lord's eyes because he knew that young man would be chasing hard after him. Even when things would be difficult. And the Lord honored David because David honored him. The Lord honored David supernaturally with protection, with provision, with prominence. The Lord honored David because David honored him. Not just when he had a microphone in front of his face, but when the enemies were arrayed against him and all things looked lost. I love that line, verse 19. He brought me forth into a broad place. That means like a wide open coastal Bermuda field. Well, if you're up in the mountains in Montana, alfalfa field. Can't, can't even see the tree line. It's on the, it's on the horizon. Far as you look, the Lord brought me into this wide open broad place as opposed to where I had lived in that tight place being gripped and chased and threatened by Saul and his armies, the Lord. The, the word literally can also mean he's brought me into a place of liberty. That's back to the original point. What the Lord is doing in our lives, the end result of it is to take us into a place of freedom. Freedom. Freedom doesn't mean to do anything you want to do. Freedom means to have the freedom because your want to has been so changed, so readjusted, so retooled that I am choosing what pleases him. I don't have to be beaten into it. The wages of sin is death. The way of the transgressor is hard. You can call yourself free, but you know, the way of the transgressor is hard. Sin carries consequences. But what, he, what he's saying here is, in, in the sense, the Lord has a way of shifting and changing our hearts so that we want to do what pleases him. And then it's a natural spiritual consequence as we pursue what is right in his sight for him to continue to bring us into a place of greater and greater freedom. Freedom. Okay, so if y'all have been nice and nobody's thrown anything at me yet, but let me just chunk this one out at you again. Let's see what comes back. Freedom, 
Freedom has a way of taking us into places that we didn't necessarily know ahead of time that we would go into or that we would want to be. To be free in the Lord means that we're willing to allow him to direct our steps. We're willing to allow him to order relationships. That old prejudices have to die, and well, they don't have to, but in order to follow the Lord, in order to be led by his spirit, we may be taken into some places with the opportunity for relationship with some people that we never, we never, we never could have seen ourselves in relationship with. The, the places, folks, listen, the places where we struggle, the things that quickly make us mad, where they can own us, the emotions tied to those people, those things, those memories, those things own you. They own you. We can say Jesus is Lord. Jesus is sovereign over everything. Jesus is Lord, except the truth is, Lord, you are not sovereign in this place of my attitude. Where, where, the, where the nostrils flare, where, where, where the neck gets red, what if my brother or my sister that is a place, that is a place that the Lord wants to set you and me free in. It doesn't mean that what has been done to us has been right all of a sudden or easy to bear or, or we, just need to, we just need to tough it up and go on. It, it doesn't mean that anything morally has changed about the wrong done against us, hurt, the hurts that have, that have come. But it means that the Lord, by his spirit, is setting you free of resentment, setting you free of revenge. The, the, the Lord is saying that, that, that vengeance is mine. I will repay, thus says the Lord. I, I want to just try to say that again. Whatever it is that can really get you going with your spouse, with family members, at work, with the culture, with the government, well, pick, pick your poison. But it's like when that comes up, you see red, nostrils flare. It's like word goes out to friends and family, don't bring that topic up. You're a prisoner. You're bound. That's not a place of freedom. So what does it mean? Somebody who hurt me that bad, I'm all of a sudden going to start being nice to? It doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden what was done to you is okay now. It just means that you have chosen by an act of your will perpetually repeated, Lord, I give this to you. I give this one to you. I give this memory to you. I give those circumstances to you. The result of that is, be anxious for nothing, remember Paul's words, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to the Lord and the peace of God. In the very place where when that name comes up or that situation comes up, instead of it being anger, here's the difference. Peace. Peace. 
Fill me, Lord, with your spirit. That means in all the categories, in all the places, he wants to bring his peace. Vengeance is mine. He'll take care of it in his time. But it is not ours to carry. In that place of change. So, so, so what if, what I'm trying to say is, what, what if, what if that, that opposition, just keep getting hit with this thing, just keep getting hit with this thing, just keep getting hit with this person, this self, this situation, just keep getting hit with it. What, what if it is because the Lord is wanting that trial to cause you to be crying out to him, Lord, rescue me, Lord, save me. And what if the saving means that he delivers you from your stinking attitude? My stinking attitude about that. What if the freedom means I don't have to be owned by that predisposition, but the fruit of his spirit, which is love. Love for that one instead of resentment. That only the Lord can give love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Again, will you just let this in and put it back before the Lord? Lord, where I get so angry, where I can just pull back and want to go on a shell and not, not ever want to speak. It depends on how the personality that works in you reacts. Some wants to fight, some wants to flee. But Lord, are you showing me that that's a place where I'm not free, where I'm a slave, I'm a prisoner, Lord, I can't change myself. I can't extricate myself from that place. But if the place of my greatness, of the place of greatest usefulness for you, is not where I am with that attitude, but where you want to take me, I, I feel the effects of this opposition, and, I, and, I, and I have to, I've had to live with it. Lord, where, where, where are you in that? Lord, set me free, and it can just be... An amazing thing. I, I heard the story of a family member, our family, difficult marriage, difficult marriage. The wife loved the Lord, tried to pursue the Lord, radical servant of the Lord, but the husband resented and resisted. And it was a great struggle in the home and with the family. The whole family seemed to be aware of the difficulty there. But I have heard many years later that there was a change. There was a change that came to that wife. When she heard and responded to the teaching, you are not responsible to change your husband. You turn him over to me. You hand him over to me. And every time, every time the difficulty comes up, the wishes, things were different, you just keep turning him over to me. They stayed married until they both died, until she died first. They, they, they didn't separate. They, they lived in the same house, they, they, that, but from that point in time until the day of her death, the family noted that there was a difference within her. There was a freedom within her. There was a peace within her. Still an estrangement, it, it, that, that never got fully reconciled. In this life, 
But the Lord brought her, even though he did not change one sliver, evidently. She did. Or she was changed. She was changed. And her love and attention to life in and by the Spirit, what it means to be in a practical sense, in a practical, not just Bible verses, but in a practical sense, what it means to be filled with the Spirit and be led by the Spirit. She just couldn't get enough of that. The setting for your greatest influence may not be the place where we are right now, but the place that the Lord is taking us to and the place that he is taking us to is a place of freedom in and by and with his spirit. Lord, where this needs to go in this preacher's heart in every listener's heart, would you by your spirit take this where it needs to go and cause it to settle in? Lord, don't let us escape this truth. Let us embrace this truth that we may know what it is to be filled with your spirit, filled with the purpose of freedom, freedom, to love you, to love life, to enjoy and embrace people, but not to have to bear the burden of changing anybody or everybody. That is your job. Remind us you are God and we are not. And that's a wonderful arrangement to be at peace with. In Jesus' name, amen.